You are listening to the weekly Great Governance podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. Today we are in conversation with Bia Kapinne, who is the chairperson of the Commission of Employment Equity in South Africa. Welcome to our platform, ma'am. Good morning, Doc, and thank you for having me. Thank you. So you are the chair of the commission. Please tell us about yourself and the work that you do at the commission. A little bit about myself. I am just an ordinary girl from Diplop in Soweto. I studied clinical psychology and got involved in the field of transformation, specifically inclusion, diversity and equity while I was working in the corporate world. And then uh, when I started my own business and focused on recruitment, I got involved with the Association for the personnel where I sat initially as the transformation expert champion and that led me to getting involved in BUSA and later on being appointed a commissioner for employment equity on the commission the third commission at that time when the tenure of the third commission ended and the fourth commission started the then minister Minister Oliphant then appointed me as the chairperson of the commission and that appointment was then reinstated with the fifth commission. Okay what is the work of the commission? What does the commission actually do? The mandate of the commission as per the Employment Equity Act is really to advise the minister around issues of employment equity and the implementation of the act, as well as to also advise ministers around the tools that have to do with the regulation of the Employment Equity Act. Hmm. So, you know, your latest report, you know, says 24 years after the Employment Equity Act, inequity still thrives in the South African workplace. Now, that is despite the Skills Development and Employment Equity Act. Why do we have this slow, painstakingly poor implementation of these two acts? Is there something wrong with the act or what is the problem? Well, the reasons are numerous. First, the fact that up to now, the piece of legislation around the Employment Equity Act has depended on self-regulation is problematic. So in the way in which the legislation is crafted, employers are the ones who are setting their own goals. And if they don't meet these goals, there's very little consequence. So that's one reason. The second issue is that the issue of transformation, I believe, right from the onset in 1994, the way in which the agreements were crafted were not so much in favor for a speedy economic transition and redress. And I think that was also quite problematic. And then the third one, which is, I think, the biggest reason, is that owners of business do not buy into the transformation agenda. And as such, the change that we see is more a tick box exercise as opposed to sustainable change. There's a lot of resistance to the Employment Equity Act. And because enforcement is quite difficult at this stage, they, you know, most employers just get away with murder. Yeah. You know, in a previous report, and I often quote you in your absence, ask my participants when I do training, why do you think Employment Equity and Skills Development Act, why are they failing? 
And then people come with various reasons. Now you are quoted as saying there's no managerial will to transform. And I have found that that managerial will doesn't have a skin color, isn't gender specific. Why is it that managers, do you think in your experience, are not excited about workplace transformation and building the skills and capacity of South Africans? I think to a large extent, it depends on what you measure and what you manage. And to a large extent, I think corporate South Africa prioritizes profits over the transformation of the country. And I'm not saying that you are interchangeable. I'm saying that whatever you drive is what you get results on. And I believe that in the same way that profits are a strategic agenda of the board, so should transformation. And managers should be given targets to meet and there should be consequences if they don't meet those targets. So to a large extent, employment equity is put on the back burner. And because of that, it's not focused on. It's not that important. That's the first reason. But I think the second reason is that change is difficult. And what we're doing, as one author has said, asking white managers to vote for employment equity is like asking Turkey to to vote for Christmas. And there is a sense of fear and a feeling of threat around the transformation. And for as long as there hasn't been a change of heart and a large-scale initiative that looks at inclusion and diversity, we're not going to get the results that we're looking for. But certainly, you know, in the public sector, it has been more transformed. But even in the public sector, I work in the municipal space, there's a lot of resistance even from black managers to train and upskill unskilled labor within municipalities. Yes, I think a part of it has got to do with the fact that literacy is not prioritized and a lot of the time at the unskilled level, my experience is that education doesn't seem to be much of a, a minimum requirement. So the managers do not see why it is important for them to look at upskilling the people and in the long run it becomes something that is problematic because you don't have growth from the lower levels moving up. Mm. I often find, you know, that we should coin it a South African management way. And across the spectrum, there still seems to be a lot of reliance on fear on Basca, even, you know, in my position. Do you find that as well, that there is the South African management way is still very much driven from a fear paradigm instead of a coaching developmental one? I still believe that. I think that to a large extent if you look at the way the labor market was structured, the boss was always the one who was in authority, more often than not, white, and the people at the bottom was black. And remember that even outside the labor market, there were legislation that were promoting that kind of inferiority, superiority uh, context. There were big consequences for not being seen to be obedient. And that legacy of patriarchy and authoritarianism has not changed. And I believe that employers have not gotten to a point where they see the benefit of running their businesses differently, creating learning organizations where there's a culture of growth, where there's a culture of tolerance and culture of Up to now, I think for the major part, most employers are still running their organization through management by fear. Let's for a moment just zoom in on municipalities. What does the transformation picture look like at the municipal sphere? At the municipal level, I must say that there has been transformation. If you look at what the statistics tell us, at top management, we see that African males are at 49.1%. African females are at 25.2%, which says that the bulk of the 
employees at top management then would be African. And the pattern continues throughout right up to the professionally qualified and even the skilled level. There has been transformation in government in general, including in the municipalities. There is slower growth, however, in the field of gender. Gender equity is still a bit problematic where you find that the male are more preferred in terms of affirmative action than the females. Yeah, and the and the disabled category, I think that we're also lagging behind there. A lot. The disabled category in the last report, I think we stood at 1.2%. There is a dire need to focus on that sector of people. And a lot of the time, I often say to employers that part of the problem is the fact that historically, persons with disabilities have been looked down upon. And that has created a culture where people who have disabilities are unlikely to report their disability. One of the first interventions that I advise employers to do is to do an awareness drive around disability. What is the definition of disability? Why is it important to declare your disability and what some of the benefits are around issues such as reasonable accommodation? Very often when that drive ends, you find that the statistics of that particular organization have gone up. People who have in the past not declared their disability feel a little bit more comfortable to declare their disability. However, the other reality is that very often when employers think about disability, they only focus on physical disability, forgetting that there are other forms of disability that do count as disability within the employment equity. I always say that the best affirmative action is training and development of people. Correct. Working in the municipal space, you know, it's, it's one thing appointing a black person, a woman or female or male, but what is not happening in a very coordinated way is skills development, is the development and building that future pool of skilled, competent workers. Why is it that we're not making the link between equity and skills development? Let me just say that historically what we found in our reports when we ask employers to report on skills development, development and training, what we found is that they missed the point completely because in terms of employment equity, employers are supposed to report on their skilling the upskilling of uh, designated groups. But what we find is that there seems to be more development and training of the white population than the rest of the population. But historically, South Africa has not been a country that has focused on training and development within the labor market. What happens most of the time is that employers are very quick to poach than to build their own, to farm their own timber. Mm-hmm. So looking for quick fixes in terms of having a long-term view towards development and training where you sh- one should do their own succession planning and develop the people in-house and then growing them through the ranks. And that usually gets you a lot of loyalty from the people that work, but we look for quick fixes. I think that was so clear when the AGES report came out recently that uh, spoke about the over-reliance on consultants and not building our own wood, growing our own wood within municipalities. And there's an over-reliance on an outside assistance instead of growing our own. What is your view on that? Yes, I think it is part of that legacy that we carry of not wanting to develop our own people. It is problematic because I do not necessarily believe that the people that are employed do not have the capacity. They may not always have the particular skill, but with development and training, they can develop to do the work that the consultants are doing. Let me touch on another thing that I picked up the other day in an advert in, uh, that said, and I would like to get
get your views on that. The advert read, the municipality will favor candidates who reside within the province. And I read this and I thought, but this can't be right. Well, it's debatable. If one is looking at community projects where the agenda is really to ensure that the local community benefits from the jobs that are there, for example, the PPW, I think they're called, those projects, the idea is that the local community should be involved in that. And in that case, it would make sense why we seek people that are from the local community. However, under normal circumstances, that clause can be challenged because it suggests that candidates from other provinces may be automatically excluded Mm. And in that would be an issue of discrimination, which can be changed. Okay, so in your report, the minister was very upset at the latest findings, and then you called for workplace activism. What do you mean when you're calling for workplace activists to rise up? Workplace activists are those people who will blow the whistle on non-compliance. They may even choose to call upon the employer to do the right thing. These are people who understand the law and who question what when the law is not applied. They become the voice of the voiceless. Workplace activists, to me, are quite critical, especially when we talk about substantive equality, which is where unfairness and discrimination has become a culture of an organization. And workplace activists would be the people that call it by name and demand a change from the employers. One must remember that we have a limited supply of inspectors, and inspectors have a difficulty in being at all the sites to monitor things like substantive equality and therefore we rely on on these workplace activists people who are willing to name things that are wrong and to demand the change that should take place and to encourage employers to create inclusive environments those are workplace activists those are people that will work with employers to transform the organization and they are doing so because they're passionate about transformation the problem is victimization so now i blow the whistle and I point the employee out and then I'm victimized. That is true and that's why we've come up with the new code that talks to harassment in the workplace and in there are clauses that talk to issues of discrimination. The law does protect employees from victimization and the more we educate employees, the more they have access to whatever systems are available in the environment to protect themselves against victimization. One of the critiques that I have against the Commission of equity is that we are not doing enough to communicate the success stories. If we showcase the successes, then it will encourage others to not fear this because you rightfully said earlier we're dealing with expectations and fears. How can we better communicate the positive spin-offs of equity and skills development and workplace transformation? Well, you might know that one of the objectives of the commission is that we are supposed to make awards to organizations that are transforming. And we have once staged the Employment Equity Awards and beyond that, we have called for nominations or for the competition for the EE Awards and that process includes a number of layers of compliance and discussions and checking out the environment and in the cases where people have come out and come forward to compete in the Employment Equity Awards, we have not been a 
able to successfully stage them for a second time because the companies that have come forward, we found that the level of compliance is not satisfactory for us to award them. So a lot of the time we'll call for nominations and as we do the adjudication process, we find that there are still some gaps in compliance and therefore none of the employers that have come forward have been awarded with that. So there's not a single entity in this country that is getting it right. Is that what you're saying? Not necessarily. I'm saying of those that have come forward for the awards, all of them have been found to be wanting in some way or the other. So what can we do to change this thing? What are the Commission's thoughts about getting people excited about workplace transformation? Because it's so exciting. Well, it is exciting depending on where you're sitting. Mm. I don't think it always seems exciting to the people. And that is why the Commission has put in place the Employment Equity Bill, the amendments, which we hope will soon become law. Because what that does is that it puts in place the issuing of a certificate by the minister for companies that are compliant. And part of the process of checking compliance goes just beyond the statistics and checks on issues of substantive equality. And in that way, employers will be forced to behave in a way that is responsible and really to implement transformation in earnest for them to get the Section 53 certificate. The Section 53 certificate also enables companies to do business with government. And those companies that are non-compliant would not be in a position to tender for contracts with government and state-owned enterprises. We believe that is going to be a big carrot and also a big stick going forward. And will this also apply to government? In other words, a, a municipality, will they also be issued with certificate? Yes. Every reporting entity will have access to this certificate. And even those that do not report in, in terms of statistics can also go into the system and then report on issues of substantive equality, which talk to whether an employer has lost a case of discrimination at the CCMA or the Labor Court or whether they're paying the minimum wage. If they're not paying the minimum wage, then they would not be in a position to get this certificate. And the certificate was loosely then probably based on the code of conduct of the 10 steps. All of those factors will be taken into consideration? Well, there are three basic categories that this certificate looks at. The first one is sector targets, where the amendment law enables the minister to set targets for the different sectors. These targets are going to be five-year targets, which employers will have to work towards achieving. And in every year, we will be able to assess an employer's progress towards meeting the five-year target and based on that, be able to issue the certificate on a yearly basis. So that's the first criteria. The second criteria, as I've already said, is that any employer that loses a case, a dispute of discrimination in terms of the Employment Equity Act at the CCMA or at the Labor Court for that particular year, they would not be in a position to be issued with a certificate. And then the third one is that employers must pay minimum wage. And those employers that are not paying minimum wage would not be in a position to get certificate. So in order to achieve the certificate, an employer must satisfy these three criteria. The provincial roadshows that you have and the research that you do, how does that work? When we do our roadshows, we actually, at each province, we present the provincial statistics to that particular province. So at those roadshows, it creates an opportunity for employers and employees to engage on their local staff. Mm. And over and above that, it is also an opportunity to encourage and assist uh, employers in issues of compliance. We discuss 
areas of compliance. We talk about reporting as well as share with them some of the CCMA cases around issues of discrimination. We partner with the CCMA, which comes then and shares some of the casework that has been found to sharpen the understanding of employers of what discrimination is and what is the right way of dealing with employees in the workplace. Chair, final question. So huge tasks that you have. It's 24 years. It looks like companies and entities are not coming to the party. What is the focus for the next five years then to turn this thing around? The next focus for us is really ensuring that the Employment Equity Amendment Bill is implemented thoroughly. Because it will be a new legislation, we imagine that there, there are still going to be areas that we're going to have to fine-tune. And for us, is seeing the system perfected to a place where it can be implemented and those employers that are meeting the requirements are rewarded for it. Where government it does not issue anyone with with a certificate if they are non-compliant. We do believe that the best way in which any legislation can benefit the people is if it hits the employer in the pocket. And we believe that over the next five years, we're going to see more and more of these employers that are non-compliant being kicked out of doing business with government. And our focus is really in ensuring that that happens and showing the, the country that there is a reward in doing the right thing. So compliance is the one thing. What are we going to do to, you know, they say from compliance to conviction? How do we get people to want to do this and not necessarily this carrot stick approach? The conviction is really a process. It's an internal psychological process, a process that the law can never achieve. So in my mind, I believe employers have to see the common good that comes out of the Employment Equity Act, that if a company thrives in an environment that is not thriving, the sustainability of that company cannot be guaranteed. And therefore, any company, any employer that understands issues of sustainability would know that for them to thrive, they need a winning team, they need a winning environment and a winning community. And in that way, their longevity is more guaranteed than if they're in an environment where they do not have a moral license to operate. We can see that a lot of the time, we have people who are protesting because they are unhappy. And the more the community sees discrimination, the more those employers are likely to not be approved of by the community and will not thrive in that environment. Mm. Chair, thank you very much for your time. It has been really insightful and we wish you well with the huge task that you have to take us from compliance to conviction. Thank you very much for having me. To the amazing and talented Great Governance team, The Voice, Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great, right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn.